Thanks so much for tuning into another episode of Pivotal Moment, where we talk to people in news, sports, and entertainment about the moment that changed it all. Download and subscribe today and leave a review on iTunes. Today, we talk to Sally Hazelgrove, who is making a difference in Chicago's Inglewood neighborhood. Her after-school boxing program, The Crushers Club, takes kids off the streets and trains them to box, teaches them to lead, and pays them, yes, pays them in the process. Since its inception, Crushers Club has employed more than 100 youth. In addition to boxing, Crushers Club offers a music education program and soon a YouTube talk show, JoJo TV. Hazel Grove talks to us about the moment that changed her life at just 10 years old and how it guides her today. She'll tell us about the impact she's made in Inglewood and around the world. Welcome, Sally Hazelgrove. Well, that's quite an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Hope I can that's live what, up to it. That's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> I think I'm just inspired by being here and being around, you know, the environment that yeah. is so like inspiring. And I it love is. what you're doing. It is. So yeah, walk man. us through you coming from where you were mm -hmm. to Chicago and how Crusher's Club came about. Sure. So I was living on the north side of Chicago, an uptown neighborhood on the north side. And I'd always seen Inglewood on the news and read about young men being killed. And I felt that God wanted me to come out here for a reason that this might be the reason, to be honest, that I was here on earth. So in 2000, I started coming out here and volunteering at first for a court mandated program. And then I felt that I needed to build something to address the epidemic of young men shooting each other dying on the streets and spending the rest of their lives in prison and being incarcerated in early age. And also not only that, it was just, you feel a lot of negativity in the streets. You can feel the violence and you can feel the hatred and the children. You know, I love children. So I just thought, oh, you know, I need to take some of those children too with me on this mission. Mm -hmm. So over the years, grabbed boys off the blocks, used to break into an abandoned church boxing wherever we could, started formulating my vision. And I told them, I'm going to build something. I'm going to put you in charge. And eventually one day, my plan is to turn it over to you. So I decided to replicate the gang model with over 250,000 gang members in Chicago. I'm like, they're doing something to attract these youth and keep so them. So you replicated the gang model. Tell yes. us what that means. So what that means is from interviewing scores of gang members and young men on the streets and in the Ickes projects before they tore them down, the stories I heard from them, and I always told them, tell me your life story. And how did you get here? It was very easy to connect the dots. They all come from very dysfunctional, broken homes. Many of them start raising themselves at 14 years old. Many of them come from very abusive homes. And But more than anything, I have a son. Boys and men need to feel like men. And because of their circumstances and because of their family life, to be honest, these men were joining gangs in epidemic rate because they need to have a purpose and they need to feel like a man, even though they know it ends their death of prison. So I thought, well, what if I build something just like that and I catch them young? So my dream is to dismantle gangs on a significant basis by taking their biggest resource, the children, away from them. So is that basically creating a sense of identity which yes, what the game normally would, identity. but through yes, something positive. Exactly. How did you come up with boxing as the route there? To be honest, I went out on the blocks uh -huh. and I interviewed them. I would ask them questions and I said, what's something you would like to do that would okay. get you off the block for a few hours? I'm like, you're just standing out here selling drugs. 
Okay. Maybe there's some way to do something else. Sure. And boxing was the number one answer. That was the answer. Yes. Well, I had hmm. listed a number oh, okay. of different activities okay. in sports. Boxing beat everything out, of course. So I knew that I had to replicate the gang model means a network of youth that operates it. Henceforth, our leadership program and our job program, we always have a minimum of about 25 boys on our payroll here. I create jobs out of everything. Employment is a number one deterrent, I believe, to crime. A lot of people say, well, make sure they're in school, right? Or make sure they're doing this, or they better not still be using marijuana. And I've always thought the opposite, that why don't we give them some success first and then address those things? I'm like, let them feel some success. Let them feel some positive identity because a lot of that self-medicating is because inside they feel so small. They feel powerless. They're in this segregated city where we live in a war zone here and they're living like nothing's going on downtown. It is still a different land in a different world for us. It operates differently. The rules are different. The driving is different. Everything. And it is. It's so oppressive. And you just, it's, there's innate feeling of, well, we're not really as worthy as all the other people in the city and in the country because, you know, this is where we landed, right? And so because of the segregation, it becomes a black thing because it's like, well, look at, there's all of us and we're all black over in the West side and the South side and it's poverty stricken and uh, we don't have development and they won't rebuild the streets until, mm-hmm. of course, all the really wealthy people in power want the land, which is what is going on in Inglewood now. Sure. And so it's real estate gentrification, I call it. But with all that, I always tell the young men, for sure, you have been dealt the short end of the stick. But you can't use that. Being a victim does not give you the right to be a victimizer. So let me ask you about that because you brought up a good point about employment being the solution first before education and all these other things. So how does the employment factor work in Crusher's Club? Like, the kids you walk in, in work. you're 14 years old, I'm putting you to work. Yes. <laughs> Enough said. That's pretty much how That's easy great. it is, right? If you're yes. at least 14. But I will say I even lowered, I have a couple 13-year-olds now in my stipend program because they like training the 9 and 10-year-olds and they've been with me since they were 9. And so they said, you know, what about us? Can this we work? Wonderful. I said, absolutely. Because we know when we get them in young and we keep them, yeah, right. right, till they're at least 18 or older. If they stay on with us, that you know, they'll be okay. We can yeah, keep them because yeah. we're their game. They're a crusher now. The branding, the identity. And I always tell them, I'll do everything for you they did, except I'll never ask you to hurt someone. Right. And I'll never ask you to risk your life. And I sure as hell am not going to ask you to do anything illegal. Sally Hazelgrove is giving Inglewood's youth a new identity. The Crushers Club is proving to be a huge success to the young men who've trained and worked there including Isaiah Cook, who plans to go pro in November. The boxing is just ridiculous. We have three fighters fighting tomorrow in Aurora. We do park district fights. We do sanction fights. And then Isaiah is planning on going pro on November 21st. So we're excited about that out at Rosemont Horizon. But either way, I feel like he'll win and I want him to win, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I also know that, well, let's say pro fighting doesn't end up being the card for him. That's okay. Because he now can be a trainer and a mentor, and a supervisor, because that's what he is here. Slowly, his pay goes up. And I tell all of them, you're starting out at the bottom level, right? Yes. So there's room to go up in here. <laughs> I love and that. I'll, it's like the real world. You yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I told them my job is, number one, to keep you off probation or make sure you don't get off probation, help you terminate off. I said, number two, to make sure you stay alive. Number three, to make sure you don't kill 
or hurt anyone because that will come back to you. And I always tell them, right and wrong matter. Discipline is love. Correcting you is love. I love you more than anybody's going to love you. I promise you because I have the love of God in me for you. And I would lay down my life for you. And I've proved that. I'm like, so what I need from you is for you to know that I have no agenda. There is nothing you can give me because what I want, it's not a materialistic thing. I want you to have a future. It is so hard growing up in these areas. When I lived here for six years, I felt guilty when I moved out Mm -hmm. because I thought I can move out. I moved in with my father in Indiana. And I thought, what would it have been like if I grew up my whole life in this war zone and constant hatred, gunfire, violence? It's so different and you get used to it for sure. But it It becomes the norm. It becomes the norm. And it shouldn't. And what I'm telling these boys is you're all traumatized and you don't even know it because we're traumatized every day. I will be honest with you and tell you that when I was living out here, my nerves were shot. I didn't sleep half the time. I slept with a rock and a knife under my bed. And uh, I would drink wine at night or beer. And I'm not an every night drinker, but I definitely self-medicated at night. You know, I was like, I need to have a glass of wine or something. Mm -hmm. My nerves are shot. And I for sure was scared a lot. I just always tell everyone, I just don't let fear stop me. I'm like, I feel fear. Don't think I'm like, you know, oh, (laughs) I'm not scared. It's like, I know God's protecting me. But at the same time, I'm human. So for sure, somebody threatens you or what have you. And it's the gunfire, right? It's Mm. the constant gunfire that you hear all the time at night. Just listen to nonstop gunfire sometimes. Some nights it was unreal. It was surreal, right? And then you have your nights when maybe you you don't hear anything or one or two. So talking about the gunfire, Sally, I wanted to ask, when you decided to come to Inglewood and when you said you're going to move from the north side to Inglewood, what did people say? Because you don't fit the demographic of Inglewood. I know. I was surprised at the lack of support. I was surprised at the people that disowned me. I was surprised at people in my own family that wouldn't talk to me anymore. And um, everyone kept saying to me, how could you move your children out there? And so what I kept saying was, if it's not okay for my child, how is it okay for all these children? My children are no more valuable than these children. Children are children. I'm like, so I feel that somebody should be willing to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to try to do this thing. I go, and I didn't really think of it that way. I just kind of like God lead me. But it was difficult. It was lonely. I didn't have the support of people. My father came back around big time. Okay. The others, so-so. I realize it doesn't matter. You can't live your life based on people's approval, right? Even your families. You have to live your life based on, I know I'm doing what I'm meant to do. And I know this is why God put me here. And I know that in the end, it's okay. Everyone doesn't have to like you all the time. Right. Because what you're doing, it matters more than that. Right. I've employed over, I believe, 105 youth. I start them off on my leadership program, which is three days a week. They'll work an hour each one of those days. They get a handwritten stipend check for $30. What I tell them is, you need to impress me. I said, Can you tell so, them that? That's oh, yeah, fantastic. yeah. I'm like, Up top. You need to tell me <laughs> that it. so that if you want to get on my payroll five days ah, a week. An and they're like, well, what do I need to do? I said, you need to not eat while you're working. You need to not come into work stinking like weed. You need to not come into work with your booty showing. You need to not say, F you, I'm not doing the bathroom when it's your turn to clean the bathroom. I'm like, you need to keep eye contact. You need to clock in on time. I'm like, you need to say, hello, how are you? And greet people when they come in. Wow. If you can do all that, I'm going to throw you over to five days. And after you've been here for a while and I feel you're ready, I'm going to try to get you a job on the outside. 
So that's the employment part. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's such great motivation incentive and similar to the real world, like the rewards you yes. get for hard and diligent yeah. work. And similar to the gang model, because they get a little bit of money. They don't get a lot of money, please. <laughs> so, you know, they just, drugs do not pay. The margins are horrible, yeah. you know? So they're not making a ton of money, but it's the purpose. Having a job makes you proud. Yeah. I When I look on a lot of their Facebook pages, which I used to do a lot, but I don't now because I'm too busy. But I used to spy on them. I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah. Like, let me see That's what, what they're up to. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but... I was always so happy inside when I saw that they were so proud they, where it says works at, they'd say Crusher's Club. Wow. And they're just like, yeah. and, I, and when I would hear one of them that would come in and usually I'll make them like for a week or two earn their leadership. Mm-hmm. Sometimes right away I'll give it to them though. Depends how high risk they are. But I love it when I hear them telling the others, I just got hired. And then when they get to transfer over to the payroll, to the payroll. They're so, they'll come in with their handwritten check or they'll go into the game room. They'll be like, look. This is my last handwritten check. I'm moving that on the payroll. That is so great. And then we have That's to educate them on sure. about um, taxes and what have you, because they're used to a cash mentality in the hood, right? Everything's cash, mm. cash, cash. So I always, you know, because the first thing they always say is somebody shorted my check. And I'm like, no, that's the government. And right. they short all <laughs> of our checks. Check. Yes. yes. And I talk to them about what taxes do, like build roads, et cetera, da, 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 you know. And I'm like, but here's the beautiful thing about paying taxes. See, it's recorded. So anywhere you go, they can look you up your social security number and see, oh, he's paid this much in taxes already. He's only 16. So he's a contributing tax contributing member of society now versus being a threat to society. So you're promoting financial literacy. Yes. You're promoting community involvement and empowerment. Yes. And you're also doing a music education program. Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, well, the voice of Inglewood has kind of always um, ebbed and flowed. It's not going to have as many as the boxing does, you know, because the boxing is just so popular and big. But so what we're doing now is we have the music studio. They run it themselves. They create their own music. This is the place where boys get kicked out, though, because I tell them there's no gangbanging in songs. And I let them know straight out, you want to promote murder? You're a freaking murderer, and you got to get out of my club. I do not condone any type of killing of other people. And if you gangbang on a song, you are promoting murder. And I will tear your head off before I throw you out of my club. So they know. I basically... I have one of the other boys actually listen to the songs because I don't even understand all the songs. <laughs> like, you, have time, to, you have to have a millennial to explain that to you. One boy though. was like, a, yeah, we're doing some stains. I'm like, I don't know what a stain is, but I know it's a crime. So, what is it? I don't know. So, I don't know. Me. I, don't know. So, I can't even explain it because you know what I did though? I walked right up to him. I said, oh, you think you slick doing stains? I was like, you suspended in-house for a week. You're going to volunteer for five days a week and you better stop doing crime and da-da-da. Yeah, and he was like, okay, okay, Miss L, okay. I was like, yeah, so I was went a little hot, wow. but it's funny because I walked away and I'm like, I knew I that was a crime, <laughs> right? I knew it was a crime. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I still don't know, but I don't care. But anyway, but so recently we've decided, okay, let's go from music videos and doing music and uh, writing. And we're also now hired um, Jeremiah, who's a young man in Inglewood and goes to Excel Academy. And he now has been hired for beats. He makes beats back here. Mm-hmm. But then we realized that we need to get more of the truth out there. So Jojo came up with, we're starting a thing called Jojo's TV. It's going to be YouTube, but it's going to be all young men being able to be anonymous. We've got those jackets I showed you that make it so that they can speak freely. Yes. And uh, we want to talk about the biggest issues. We want to talk about corporal punishment. We want to talk about how it affects children when parents use corporal punishment, i.e. whipping, hitting, you know, beating their kids and what that produces. Because every single young man will tell me, well, this is how I learned how to be violent. Because, you know, when you hit a child, basically we're, they're sponges. So what they just learned was, oh, if somebody does something to me, 
in the future that I don't like, I need to hit them. And then JoJo TV, they will have, it would be like a talk show format. Yes, okay. exactly. We, what we'd like to do, and of course, um, as I talked to you, we're looking to partner up with professionals um, to help these young men and get some consultants in here because we love the idea and we know that it's good, but we know we need help going sure. to the next level. And these young men need mentoring from professionals in that area of expertise. How has the city of Chicago or leaders in Chicago partnered with you, or are you looking to begin and grow that partnership? So I've partnered with juvenile probation. Okay. I still do. So having said that, I believe that all of Chicago's problems steer actually from the people that are in power, because only people in power can keep segregation and systematic racism going. Inglewood has not changed. Chicago has not changed. It's as segregated as it ever was. The ghetto remains the ghetto. We still have blocks upon blocks of debilitated buildings, right, which are breeding grounds for crime. But yet we see them down there putting up a Whole Foods, a Starbucks, right, Kennedy mm. King, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Then we see them laying millions of dollars into the streets out here. Mm -hmm. And suddenly Ashland is like driving on glass now in Inglewood. Oh, but let me, wait a minute. There's like 5,000 abandoned buildings, all these gangbangers, poverty, drugs. I told some young men today that walk in, I'll preach at them when they come in, some of the young men on the block, and they came up. So I started talking to them again, and I said, you need to open your eyes. I said, you're exterminating your own race. And unfortunately, there are people in power, they don't care because they want you out of here because they want the land. This is about greed and money. This isn't even about racism. And what is the response that you get from the kids when you share that message with them? What do they say? <laughs> they tell you something funny. A lot of them will, uh, these tough young men, they'll just walk right up to me and hug me and they'll say, thank you. And I say, I know you've been set up and I know you're so powerful. And I know the world did this to you because they fear your power. Actually. Yeah. I know you're God's chosen ones too. This is my feeling. Anyway, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. And look what the world did exterminated like six, 7 million of them in the Holocaust. I said, you too are God's chosen ones. Cause look what the world has done to you from a long time ago. Okay. God said, you know, those who belong to me, you too will be persecuted and shunned. But the problem is you're now, you've been set up so much that you are now doing it to yourself. They don't have to do anything anymore. They've got it so that they've got you destroying your own race and you don't see it. So, you know, you're not connecting the dots. I'm like, but only they can change it. So what about, and we may have covered it already, but sure. this is pivotal moment. So we always ask people, what was the moment that changed things from where you were to where you wanted to be? Was it when your mom passed away? Was it something else? What is the moment in your life, Sally, be it personal or professional, that made the biggest difference? <laughs> Some have several. I was a strange child. At 10 years old, I felt God. And I felt the hatred of the world. And so I grew up thinking, I must have done something really bad in heaven. I must have been prideful. Why would God send me to this evil place? I'm like, where well, people are so cruel. I was bullied. I, I was a funny looking kid too. You know, I had red hair, pigtails, and I talked funny. But I always knew God, and I loved him so much. And I always loved others a lot. I used to cry for kids that were handicapped. I used to volunteer with handicapped kids and horses and stuff when I was like 10, 11, 12. So I would tell you that I had a very unusual path. I didn't fit in. I was always alone in a way. You can be in a room full of people and feel alone. That's the worst type of loneliness. Because I was so different, I didn't fit in my own family. Mm. So I felt alone there. And so you go through your youthful things and what have you. I dropped out of high school. I took a test to get a GED, took an SAT. I'm intelligent. So, you know, I passed everything, got high scores. It was, I couldn't fit in socially in those types of systems and places. 
And I just always kept thinking, I remember my poor mother, I would cry at her house. And this is when I was like in my 20s. And she would say, what's wrong? And I'm like, I just don't understand what I did. Why is God punishing me? What did I do that he kicked me down here? Well, I just knew I came from God. So I was like, I I must have done something bad. So my pivotal moment was when then, um, and I've always, you know, like I said, had so much love inside of me, for especially for children and those that are less fortunate. So it's like old men, children, you know, <laughs> anybody who's less fortunate, they really get my heart. But anyway, it was really when I came to Inglewood. And I remember I was like, oh, I bet you I volunteered to come here. God has a job for me to do. And I remember I was in Inglewood and I went to a church on 5539 South Damon. And of course, I was the only white person to walk in there. And <laughs> everyone looked at me. And I'll tell you something what funny. They think you were. Right. Well, so, but I went in there because I was like, oh, they've got some really good juke and gospel music going on in there. You know, I could hear it. <laughs> juke so, and oh, gospel? yeah. I did. So, Sally, we're done. I went in. I love it. And um, they all looked at me and they all had on black robes, right? And. I think God made me this way, though. I've always been a little oblivious, right? If a bunch of people hate me, it's like I don't feel it or something. So I went in there, sat down, and, and you know, and I love God. And so the woman got up, though, and she's like, if anybody says anything to my white friend, and I remember, I'm like, oh, there's there's a white person in here. And I turned around and looked, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, they're talking about me. I'm like, who's she talking about? Oh, she's like, you better not harass her. And I'm thinking... I could take out a herd of buffalo. Who's she talking about? I don't need her help. So, you like, I got this. Yeah. But anyway, but her husband was the prophet and he was blind. Oh, wow. And I touched his hand and he said to me, God has a job for you to do. And I told him, wow. I said, I know. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what he wants me to do. And so I ended up becoming this is a very elderly man, blind. It was hilarious. He chain smoked cigarettes at his house. I used to go over to his house here in Inglewood and I would go over there and I would talk to him about God and I would be really funny too. I'd be really sassy and stuff and the rest of them. I'd sit there and I'd light all his cigarettes, you know? Oh my God. And um, he would get mad at me sometimes. I remember I'm not a church goer, right? I believe church is, is my body, is my house, is my home. And, and to be honest with you, church and religion is like gangs. I'm like, mm. religions remind me of that gang mentality of if you're not my religion. And you can't be in my house, you know, that type of thing. I, I don't think God likes that divisiveness. That's why we're in the trouble we're in right now in the world. But anyway, that was a big moment. And I knew I was like, I know there's a reason for me to be here, God. I know you have a job for me to do. So as I was here and the vision started formulating, and I've always been shocked that somebody would care where somebody came from or what they looked like. I've always been like, what's wrong? Why are people so stupid? Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Who cares what you look like? Who cares what I look like? Who cares if we're different? We're supposed to be different. I'm so blessed and glad, but I was shocked by the people that I had no idea that were like this too, because you don't know that people have some certain type of attitudes towards other races unless they're challenged. And so when all my friends that were Caucasian, Mm -hmm. I started coming out here, started changing on me and my family, some of my family members. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think they're racist. And I never would have known. I mean, I have one family member that basically disowned me. So they they don't. Does your family come out to Inglewood? You're not like no. No, 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 never, never. I think my father came once because he was so embarrassed that the little old white lady who lives by me came out and he didn't. Wow. He felt like a chicken butt. But actually, God bless my father. 
It was hard for him, but you know, he was scared. Is that the most challenging part I want to ask? Because what you're doing is wonderful and the impact or the influence you're making is pivotal in so many lives. What's hard about that? What's the challenging part? The most challenging part, to be honest, was to have my eyes open to how corrupt Chicago is. The most challenging part and the most painful part for me is that people in power want nothing to do with me because of the fact I won't be corrupted. I was flown out to Washington, D.C., and got the Leadership Community Award from Director Christopher Ray. Do you know not one person in Chicago congratulated me or said anything? Nobody in power. The FBI did here, of course. Wow. But it's okay because in Washington, D.C., the Bureau told me, they said, we are behind you and we admire what you're doing and we believe in you. So you keep doing it. And I told them in Washington, I said, because I've been there three times now, I said, I get more recognition out here and more encouragement than I do in Chicago. Isn't that a sad fact? I go, because all of our politicians have agendas. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to say that, but it's the truth. Why in the world wouldn't they jump on something that works? Yeah. If absolutely. I told you the real truth of everything, which I'm planning to do, actually, in a tell-all book someday. Wow. You, dro- you heard it here, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Yeah. The tell-all is but popping. It's shocking. I mean, I cried so much. I can't even tell you. I've cried so much that people are so evil. Like, how could you want this to continue? You're so evil that you'll take... And they're evil to everyone. It's not just the hood. They want the land so badly that instead of helping these people and making parents be accountable, because that's will help. Accountability helps. Consequences matter. Rules matter. Right and wrong matter. But you're so evil. You want the land. You want the power. You want the money. They don't care about people in the suburbs either, because they're going to take these families that are unfortunately have not been redirected, have not been helped. So they're still doing crime. They still have an attitude of thinking that the system's helping them by giving them free stuff when we know it's not, it's crippling them. So they go to these neighborhoods and they start, these middle class people who have paid money to, you know, live in a safe neighborhood, well, guess what? Their neighborhood starts going down. Because now you have Romeoville, Bolingbrook, Chicago Heights, Aurora are all becoming cesspools now because we didn't help them. We just moved them away so we could get the land. And they want this land for some reason, Inglewood. So what is the solution? What do you think can be done? And what can folks who are listening do to help what you're doing? Well, I think the solution is number one through the youth, which is why I am trying to get them to listen, to speak. I'm putting the powers why we're developing this TV show, um, this YouTube show, I should say. Great for that. Looking forward to that. Yeah. And because I do believe, and I've told them a million times, it can't be me because the facts are the facts. I'm white. <laughs> I had no to Sally. Are Thank you? you yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, so it, it won't be as powerful. It needs to come from you. You also, I'm kind of on this little mission, you know, to wake them all up. But I would say other people can help by number one, as you know, we love visitors. Number two, donations always help. While we have 25 boys on our payroll, we want to have 50. Right now, we just finished a three year strategic plan. I am so proud to say I have a awesome board now. I've, you know, it takes a while to get a good board as when you start out as a nonprofit. How and where can people donate? You can go to the website and there's a tab that says support us. Um, we're also are having our second annual fundraiser next Thursday at the Italian, the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame, which is an amazing museum on Taylor Street. George Randazzo was kind enough to give us his place for free. Um, oh, wow. We fight for him. He's a supporter of ours okay. too. And so, and I'm really excited about that. What's the actual date? The actual date is October 25th. It's 5.30 to 8.30. And um, there's going to be a silent auction. It's going to be fun. There's a lot of Halloween theme in there. Um, Free food and drinks, of course. A little bit of entertainment, the voice of Inglewood. 
and it's a way for us to thank our supporters. And also, obviously, we're raising some more money. But um, every dollar helps. I always tell everyone. So for $100, that pays for two weeks of one of our full-time employees who's not full-time, pardon me, but who's on our payroll now for five days a week, right? Because they start out making $100 every two weeks. And that, you know, all of our money goes towards our programming and towards helping these young men. And so that's one way to help is to donate online. Another way is if anybody wants to donate boxing gloves ever or hand wraps or what have you, we're always in need of that. Um, food is a big thing. We're always in, you know, we feed them. They're always hungry. So we're, we spend a lot of money on <laughs> They're food. They're always hungry. We spend Teenage a lot of boys. money. Exactly. And so we also spend a lot of money on crisis services, meaning transportation. Transportation has been one of the barriers to help a lot of these young men succeed. And I've had probation officers say to me when I'm like, can you help me at all with the transportation? Or be like, no, Sally, we only get this or that. And I'm like, well, they got to get to school and they can't walk because of their issues, gang issues. And I say, well, their mother has to come there. I'm like, but if they had a mother that would do that, they wouldn't be on probation. Okay. If they had a, a solid parent, this wouldn't be happening. He's like, well, they're just going to figure it out. And I thought, wow, you know what? My board tells me all the time. They said probation's not going to give us money because they know why should they um, buy the cow when they get the milk for free? Mm-hmm. Because when they cut funding, I said, I don't care. I'm still going to do my job. And I've still serviced these boys. And everybody, you know, I've had talks and where people have said, you need to stop servicing them. So they pay you. I'm like, I can't punish them because they don't want to spend money in this area, even though carjackings are ridiculous. Up, You have a one in 33 chance of being a victim of a violent crime in Inglewood. I could read you all these statistics. I'm like, juveniles are the ones doing the majority of the shooting and definitely all the carjackings and stuff. But sure. Yeah. Let's not spend any money on trying to help them. So I just said, you know, I, and I told my board, I don't know what to do about that. How can I, I can't refuse them. They're like, well, can't you just tell them you're not going to take anymore? I'm like, no. Yeah. It goes against what I stand for. If the rest of the world won't be with integrity, I have to keep mine. I made a commitment to these young men and to God. I can't break that for anyone or for any amount of money. And I've seen years ago when I first came here, yes. the commitment for myself, the yes. kids, the boxers, they're just amazing. I mean, and they're yeah. so respectful. They're mannerable. They're great. Yes. And they're very, very focused is what I found yes. to be like really yeah. impressive to me. Thank so you. what is the best part of what this has all been for you? What's the most rewarding part? The most rewarding part is when um, I watch these boys, um, tragedies and miracles all the time, every day out here. But I'd say the most rewarding part is every day when they're still alive and we tell each other we love each other. And a lot of them, we do this silly thing where I'll be like, I love you. And they're like, I love you more. And I'll be like, no, I love you more. I'll be like, I love you more. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I, I love say, you more. I love you infinity <laughs> times whatever you say more. So, you know, but it's just like this. Uh, there's so much love in this place. Yeah, and you can feel it. I, I know my, my young male workers, you know, I told them, I said, I know it's hard for you to say I love you to them. I go, because you're all men. <laughs> How have your own kids responded to your mission and all of your success and the love that all these other kids, like they have to share you with everyone. Yeah. How do they do that? You know, um, it wasn't easy on them always. I'll tell you that. And to actually, we had some conversations where they told me they felt that I loved the boys more than them one time. Aww. And I said, well, number one, love is not competitive. And most people don't understand that. I said, but it's not. I go, love is not something that you have to measure out. There's enough love for everyone actually in the world. You know, and of course I told them that they are absolutely, I basically told them though that I understood them saying that. Yeah. I validated their feelings. Your kids are great. I was like, they're such a blessing. But they're also, we're a a very spiritual family. We pray together. We thank God. I'm all about being grateful for every moment. 
So I think it's had a really good effect on them, actually, mm. you know, to see how Make them stronger. Yes, wiser, exactly. More Even though it was very traumatizing and hard, it took basically a year for all three of us to recover from the trauma. Wow. I was- I would have trouble sleeping at first, you know. I sleep now, but I didn't sleep for a long time because I never slept in Inglewood. So they're good now and everything. It it was a great experience for them, and I think it'll have far-reaching consequences for them as they mature into adults. I can tell you it's, they also see the pain, you know. So I'm like, this isn't right. And that will forever change their outlook on life, having had this experience. So thank you, Sally, for what you're doing for your own and for everyone else's. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on board. Thank and you. where can people find like more information about you? Sure. Where do they go? So uh, website is CrushersClub.org. And as I said, there's also a support us tab on there um, as well. Facebook Crushers Club mm-hmm. and Twitter at Crushers Club. I have an Instagram too, but I'm telling you, I'm having one of my young men take over social media because Yay! it's very hard for me to do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, That's why you have to have all those millennials. Yes, right. I know. Oh they, do. they do. They do. I always make a joke with the boys because we take all their phones when they first come in here. And, oh, do you? Oh, yeah. And I always <laughs> tell them, I say, you know what I did when I was young? We put a can in a field and we kicked it and we called it kick the can. And we would do it for like seven hours. Yeah. And that was nothing better. Or like, there was light. nothing oh, better than like, yes. Red light, green light. Or catch the flag. Right. <laughs> Yeah, they just look at me like, yeah. Okay, yeah, they're like, the take it down. Like, all right. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Sally. Thank this you. Been great. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. All righty. We love Sally. Great to visit Crushers Club today. Great to talk with the young men who were there, the nicest kids in the world. Every single time I visit there, they make me feel welcome. So shout out to Sally Hazelgrove again. She is a difference maker in Chicago. Please be sure to show her some support and love by donating whatever you can. Time, money, resource, mentoring, transportation. I mean, these kids really deserve it. And then some. Coming up on Women Who Rock series, check out our interview with Dr. Kelly Richmond Pope. Dr. Pope is the creative and executive producer of All the Queen's Horses, now available on Netflix. Find out how this CPA and DePaul professor turned her passion into a documentary and how to move your idea from concept to the big screen. Download and subscribe Pivotal Moment today. And please, please leave a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Nikita Faustin. We will talk to you next time. Take care.